it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Thursday, January 18th, 2023. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here again to talk about Formula One and all the news and all in sundry when it comes to Formula One. And it's a day earlier than our usual drop. But you know what? It's good. You know, I, I, I'm kind of in that weekend mode because usually when we're sitting down to do this, Habby, it's late on Thursday night. So by the time I go to bed, it's like, I'm going to wake up. It's going to be Friday. So we're a day ahead of schedule, which kind of means that tomorrow's going to be like one really long <laughs> day because I'm going to be a day ahead of myself. But it's all good. It's all good. How are you today, sir? You, you look. Um, effervescent. I, I don't know what that means. I'll take it as I don't a compliment. Know either, but yeah, sure. I'll take why it not? as a compliment, but <laughs> I, I would admit that I was a little distracted off the top because just as you started talking, I got a notification from YouTube on my phone. So pretty cool. It looks like YouTube pushes out notifications when we start a live stream. So if you're not tuning in, if you're not checking out the live stream and that's something you might be interested in chatting with some of your uh, fellow listeners and, and chatting with us, please come and join. We live stream every Sunday night, every Thursday night, and uh, whenever yep. there's a Grand Prix during the season. But dude, I'm doing super excited. Listeners don't need to hear this. They've heard this a hundred times, flying out to Toronto on Friday, looking forward to a really good weekend. But mm-hmm. that said, man, we are 36 days away from winter testing, almost a month, 37 days away from the launch of Drive to Survive season five, and 46 days away from the first Grand Prix of the Formula One season. It is crazy how fast this offseason's gone. Oh, I know it is. Uh, I feel like we're almost like on light speed, approaching ludicrous <clears throat> speed. But can I, I did pull up the definition for effervescent. Do you, do you want to hear it? So yes. the, the, the first definition is giving off bubbles, fizzy, quote, an effervescent mixture of cheap wine, fruit flavors, sugars, and carbon dioxide. And the second definition is vivacious and enthusiastic there you okay, go this, okay. I, I, think, I will i will take yeah. the second description <laughs> i thought you might i thought you might but yeah i mean crazy how everything is it, it the, the season feels it's literally around the corner those those car launches now are only about two and a half weeks away when we have the the, the red bull launch confirmed for feb 3rd williams feb 6th alpha Tauri february 11th McLaren and Aston Martin both on the same day on February 13th, Ferrari February 14th, Mercedes February 15th, and Alpine February 16th. There's a couple other teams that haven't announced, but who cares about them? <laughs> Being a little bit glib and it, whatever, but no, I mean, uh, joking all aside, it is uh, it's great that uh, the the uh, the season is literally right here, but not really. But to keep us occupied in the meantime, like you said, uh, 37 days until DTS season five drops. But if you live in the UK on Discovery Plus, you can watch the Bernie 
Ecclestone documentary called Lucky. It's uh, eight one-hour episodes, and it's Motor Racing's Wizard of Oz, Bernie Ecclestone, pulling back the curtain on both his incredible life and Formula One, the global sport he created and controlled for over 40 years. I don't know about you, Hammy. Is, 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 would this be... Well, I guess there's no such thing as appointment television nowadays anymore because everybody <laughs> streams everything. But would you be blocking off time if you had access to this uh, th- this series to to sit down and stream this bad boy over the weekend? Are you yeah, kind of no, like no, no, no? There, there's, I did. There's specifically yeah. <laughs> a reason. One, it's a big time investment. It's eight hours, and the problem because I haven't seen it because we're not in the UK and it's not available to stream in North America yet. But the problem, as I understand it, is Bernie's the only person they interview for this entire series. <laughs> so it's more or less Bernie rambling on and reflecting on his career for eight hours from his perspective. And I would love a Bernie documentary, but I need more than the Bernie perspective for it to be meaningful, yeah. impactful, exciting. So I, I, I would love the if any of our listeners- self-indulgent pops yeah, to mind. Yeah, yeah. So if, if anyone does give it a watch and you're in the UK and you and you like it or don't like it, please drop us a line because I'd love to share your thoughts on the air, but I'm not, I'm not eager to dive into eight hours of Bernie reflecting on his career. Yeah, you should. We should also mention that if you can actually sit down and watch this thing, especially if you can do it in like a day or a weekend, you have our eternal respect to be able to yeah. pull that off. Because I don't think either Mark or myself uh, could do that. So, but uh, something actually worth uh, waiting for and uh, counting down and uh, listening to will be MotoGP 101 coming in February with Ed Spencer and Maddie Patterson. So, tell us a little bit more what you guys got planned. Yeah, this was something that was inspired by Juan Solo last week, kind of reached out saying, hey, I'd love yep. you guys to do some introductory work on some other racing series. Obviously, I'm passionate about MotoGP. We thought it'd be fun to drop it in, in February before the kickoff to the formula or the MotoGP season. Uh, Ed's a big fan. Maddie's been covering MotoGP for a while. Uh, we thought it would be fun to do it kind of as a, a three-person uh, approach and and I think we're going to set it up as like, hey, you know what? First first chapter of the podcast is going to be what is the championship? How does it work? And then what are the teams? Who are the riders? And just have a, a little bit of fun. And I think uh, I allude to when I talk about MotoGP enough that it would be kind of cool to give people kind of the the foundational groundwork of what MotoGP is. I got to say though, moving on quickly to the next subject, I'm a little bit passionate about this one. We kicked off a contest last week, a contest we are giving away three copies of Alanis. King and Elizabeth Blackstock's wonderful new book, uh, Racing with Rich Energy, how a rogue sponsor took Formula One for a ride. My copy, I bought a copy from Amazon. It arrived yesterday. I'm eager to read it on the plane this week. But nobody is entering the contest. So we have the contest up on Twitter. We had a ton of people uh, kind of enter the contest the first day and really nobody since. So if you're interested, we're giving away three copies. So there's a high probability that you might actually win this thing. Just go to Twitter, find our Twitter feed. It is tacked right to the top. It is pinned right to the top. All you got to do is basically follow a couple of people, retweet it, like it, and you are entered. But I would love to see some more people enter that contest because uh, it's an exciting one. And Alanis and Elizabeth and I will be sitting down to talk about that book on a podcast that's going to drop February 19th. So we're going to talk about the inspiration for the book, their research, their experience, and whether they've got another book uh, uh, that they might be writing for the future, hopefully around the Ferrari 2019 engine scandal. At least that's what I'm <laughs> going to allude they should do. But yeah, yeah exactly, so we're excited right. about that. Yeah, you know, maybe people are just a little bit suspicious, right? Maybe they think that the fact that rich energy doesn't exist in bottles, cans, flasks, 
you know, what jugs, whatever it comes in. Maybe they think that the the you know the the Bags. contest is also a a figment of somebody's imagination. It isn't the contest, and 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 what we're doing is not a figment of anyone's imagination. Just the the actual rich energy drink itself is because I still haven't heard since we talked yeah. about it a couple of weeks ago. Still, uh, you know, I've had a couple of people say, yeah, and I never actually seen it either so who knows daily the other day and this is totally off 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 uh off topic but the other day it's I, what I had we this, do best i had this memory of being a kid somewhere yeah. and and my parents buying milk in bags and like you would cut a quarter of the milk and you'd put it in this plastic jug and i was just like that must have been like a weird dream because i can't believe that was no. real but somebody posted nope. the fact that this is a real yeah. thing that in parts of canada you buy your milk not in cartons but in plastic bags i, I vaguely remember that uh, out here too like on the west coast growing up but it wasn't much of a thing but i'm pretty sure if you go like uh, if, if when you're in ontario this weekend you know if you have a, t- a chance just slide into the the, the supermarket and go to the yeah, dairy yeah, section because i'm sure there's a lot of them there because when I was in Ottawa last summer visiting family, like, you know, we were staying at their place. So we went out to do groceries a couple of times. I'm pretty sure I saw bagged milk there. So anyway, yeah, back on topic. Yeah. Sorry about that. Back about on that. topic, you know, just random uh, stuff. But, you know, hey, you know, it's, it's all good. We, we mean it with, uh, I don't know what our intention is. But anyways, Red Bull versus Ferrari. This is uh, via motorsport.com. Since 2005, Red Bull have had one team manager. So for better or worse, love him or hate him that is the the one and only mr christian horner 92 wins five constructors titles six drivers world championships ferrari since 2005 five team principals 60 wins two constructors and one world driver championship <laughs> so there's a whole list i love the graphic there's on one side of the graphic you got christian and on the other side you have like a whole list of you got it uh, you got a Rivabetti, you got Bernardo, you got Domenicali, you got Jean Todt, etc. Right? It's it's like a whole procession of these scarlet clad gentlemen. But it's interesting too, like the 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 pictures, are they coming or going? Because Bernardo he he looks a little bit I wouldn't say despondent, but uh, he, he doesn't look uh, particularly jolly. Um, anyways, the other graphic that uh, you've pulled up here is the 2022 versus 2023 team changes. So, of course, uh, this is kind of a cool one because it kind of looks a little bit like a, a lap chart and how uh, drivers move up and down the race order. So, no change of the top three, of course. Uh, Verstappen, uh, Perez still at Red Bull, uh, Leclerc and Sainz still at Ferrari, Hamilton, Russell still at Mercedes. Mercedes. Then at uh, Alpine, Ocon is staying. Al- Alonso over to uh, Aston Martin. It's, it's kind of cool though when the the one graphic where you, the, the, where you see the, the the drivers that have jumped around, but the ones that really stand out are the ones that are kind of like the red X in uh, in in no man's land. Of course, the drivers that are not in Formula One this year that were there last year was Danny Ricardo. At uh, McLaren, Sebastian Vettel at Aston Martin, of course, uh, retiring. Mick Schumacher, temporarily at least out of uh, Formula One, uh, at least if he gets his way. And uh, Nicholas Latifi, who is uh, not uh, coming back to uh, Williams this year. Okay, so let's move on to listener questions and emails. These are always, uh, I love uh, discussing these ones. First one comes from Jason Fletcher. Uh, Jason asks, when you watch the races, do you watch the broadcast, ESPN or equivalent, or do you watch an app like F1 TV? Curious to think if the app is a better viewing experience. 
Well, I, I think both you and I are going to agree that uh, we're pretty much sold on uh, F1 TV because it is commercial free. Um, I believe it also is in 4K. I know that the, you know, I, I don't really pay attention to those things. I just really care. Do I turn it on and it looks really good and it looks really good. Um, I love the, uh, the the fact that you can toggle on race telemetry and laps uh, times and you can flip between the in-car cameras. So it's pretty cool. Plus everything is there in one place and you don't need to search around your PVR or you need to go and search for it on demand. So I, I'm I'm really sold on on F1 TV. I think it's uh, it's pretty good. Plus, you have and, the archive, and it gets better every year. Like this yes. is one of the cool yeah. things. Like Liberty yep. continues to invest. And last year, I think maybe the year before last year, they launched the Apple TV app, which is fantastic. Yep. It's not 4K, but it's so good. 60 frames per second. I love it, and I, I don't think I could go back to terrestrial or broadcast cable for the race because, like you, I don't typically watch the races live, and it's really cool that I can sleep in, get up at 9 or 10, open the app, click play, and be good to go without fumbling yep. with a DVR or worrying about whether it recorded or not or whether I recorded the right channel. So I'm all in on F1 TV Pro. It was really buggy for a couple of years, but it's gotten infinitely better. I can't recommend it enough. And I think too, you can uh, flip between multiple uh, languages for the commentary as well. You get the Sky feed, uh, Sky Sports feed, plus you get the official F one uh, feed, and I believe you can listen to the uh, the, the commentary in different languages as well, which is uh, very very cool. All right, moving on to the next uh, question comes from Rhett Jackson. Uh, question for your recording: With the departure of multiple drivers on the grid this off season, who do you believe is in the hot seat hot seat this season, and most likely to lose their seat in twenty twenty three? And then, secondly, how do you see Piastri pairing against Norris this season? So, Mark, which one do you want to tear off first and try and uh, tackle? The timing one or part good? two. Yeah, let's start with part one. And the timing's good okay. because we just we just had that comparison. You just kind of walked us through the 2022, yep. 23 driver changes. So we kind of have a fresh look at the teams. If you if you look at the grid, obviously we had four drivers that effectively either left or lost their seat this year, Ricardo, Vettel, Schumacher, and Latifi. And we have four F2 graduates joining the series, Piastri, DeVries, Sargent, and Hulkenberg. Well, I guess Harkenberg is less than F2 graduate and more making his triumphant return to Formula Formula One. But like if I look down the 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 grid, like the one that probably screams out to me to be most problematic in terms of uh I would say comfort is probably Sonata or Sonoda. Like I, yes. I worry for him. Yep. And I think part of the reason he still has a seat is that historically very deep Red Bull Driver Academy is not particularly deep right now, which is why they had to tap into to freeze to fill a seat and and why they were sniffing around some other non-Red Bull Academy drivers over the last couple of years. And that's, of course, why they went to Sergio Perez. But I think that would probably be the one that is the most concerning to me when I look up and down the grid. Yeah, Mark, I totally agree. I, I think that it is a uh, Yuki Sonoda, and uh, I, I I don't really see any change at uh, Red Bull, Ferrari, or Mercedes. Uh, Alpine is an interesting one, and I don't think that it, it, it's so much the fact that uh, either of those drivers uh, might lose their seats, uh, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon. But there's a bit of history there. There's been a bit of beef between these two guys, so I, I think like the the inter team 
personalities and, and just how these two might either get along or not get along will be interesting to watch. You look at uh, Alfa Romeo, uh, Valtteri Bottas, and Joe, uh, Joe Guan Yu. I think that's a good pairing. Joe, I don't think gets enough um, credit. I, I think that uh, for a rookie season, I think he did very well in 2022. Agreed. Totally agree. And, and, and Valtteri Bottas, sure, he's not like you know he's he's not like Lewis Hamilton or some some of these other vets but he is a good solid fast uh, driver he's got tons of experience and i think he's the perfect guy for that team as they uh, slowly but and, and surely march towards 2026 and the uh, the switch and the rebadging to uh, audi aston martin is an interesting uh, one with uh, fernando alonso and lance stroll lance has been in that team for several years now Fernando, the newcomer on the block. That one, I'm going to be interested uh, along similar lines compared to Alpine, just to see how the chemistry and the dynamics in that garage is with uh, Fernando, because, you know, he can be a a bit of a disturbing force, right? And so it'll be interesting to watch that one. Uh, Magnussen and Hulkenberg at Haas, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, experienced uh, drivers. I I think that that's what that team needs. I I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the experiment a couple of years ago with uh, with Mick Schumacher and uh, and uh, Mazepin that just obviously didn't work. I mean, it was unfortunate more for 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 Mick Schumacher because right place at the wrong time. You know, the team you didn't really give him a good car, and then you know, a- against a teammate that he was never really going to be. You know be able to really, well, I guess he could maybe prove himself against uh, to a certain extent, but just as inexperienced in Formula One as he was. So not really a, a teammate he could learn off of. And then DeFries and Sonoda, that's an interesting one. But uh, like you say, Sonoda, I mean, he's had a couple of cracks at uh, at Formula One now. This is his third season. We, we, we've seen some impressive drives from uh, Yuki. And then he kind of goes through these periods where he's just uh, another car kind of out there, not really impressing one way or another he has these anonymous uh, anonymous spells i guess you could say and then uh, williams uh, logan Sargent, exciting to see him coming into formula one for his rookie season and alex albon uh, he did some good things uh, last year as well so some very interesting things to look on then uh, just to piastri and norris that's going to be for one that that's going to be fun to watch but though you know i guess it really depends uh you know how piastri can kind of you know how soon is it going to take him to find his feet in formula one the only questions i really have about lando is i mean i i I do not doubt lando's talent i don't uh doubt his speed at all it's just like what kind of car is he going to get this year because there's no doubt that this guy is you know like a top five Formula One driver, you know, I don't think there's any question about it. It's just that after last year was, it, it wasn't a great year for McLaren. It was disappointing, I think, that uh, that they didn't perform better. I mean, you know, given the right car, I think Lando can do really, really good things. And I know you feel similarly about that, Mark. The relationship between these two guys is going to be fine. Like, I, I don't anticipate there's going to be fireworks. I don't anticipate that there's going to be sparks. But I what, between think, Piastri and Lando? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. In terms, yeah, of, yeah, in terms of the relationship, yeah. where, where I think the challenge is going to rise is I, I think the expectations will continue to mount on Lando, but I think there's going to be an immense amount of pressure on Piastri because this is a guy that we tagged for getting a ride at Williams. And then he was offered publicly offered or proclaimed the new driver at Alpine. And then he publicly dismissed that and said, I am not going to be racing for you. And then promptly signed an agreement or had already signed an agreement with McLaren. Like I think, I think the spotlight's going to be on him because of, and I don't necessarily blame him and I'm not criticizing him, but the way Mm -hmm. he and his, his, uh, 
his team, his media team, his publicist, his management team kind of navigated the F1 driver silly season last summer, puts him in a situation where he's in a much better car than maybe he anticipated he would have been in. You and I were expecting him to be in a Williams or maybe maybe the Renault LP in this year, but he's going to be in a Mercedes-powered McLaren. I just think there's going to be an immense amount of pressure on him, not least of which is because he's replacing Daniel Ricciardo, who, while underperforming in that seat for the last two years, is immensely liked. So I think the pressure is going to be on him, but I don't anticipate there'll be any friction in the relationship between the two drivers. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, too, because Piastri kind of... um I wouldn't say manipulated uh, the situation, but he certainly did maneuver himself into uh, into that seat uh, quite uh, deftly. And it's a little bit For different. Sure. I, I mean, George Russell sort of kind of did the, uh, the the same to get a ride with Williams several years ago, but he did it more tactfully. And I think uh, because of that, the... I would say that there was less expectations on George at the time because, you know, he just kind of he he made a real good case why he should be given that drive at at Williams. Right. And there wasn't really anything to lose because they were at the back. He was a young driver, you know, obviously a, you know, a, a, you know, a hot prospect at the time. So it really was it, I think it was a, it was a win win situation. George gets uh, gets a seat. He's able to get uh, the time and the miles in in Formula One. Williams gets a, a hot young pro- prospect, but you know it can only be good for them because you know they don't really have the car. But Piastri, they, it, it's a little bit contentious, right? The way that he's he's managed to get this seat and the whole you know disagreements, you know, and the, the whole publicity around it. And I think because of that, that just puts more more pressure, like you say, uh, for for him to perform. So that's going to be uh, fun to watch. Anyways, let's take a quick uh, break, Mark. We still got uh, several good um, uh, emails to to go through, some fun stuff to talk about. So we'll do that in a moment. So don't go away. We will be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We're going through uh, listener questions and emails and tweets. The next one comes from the Nige. Uh, Mark Squared, riddle me this. Do you honestly think that uh, Mercedes will be able to make a significant jump in performance while sticking to their no side pod concept? I know they have made drastic changes to the underside of the car, but I have serious concerns that they're just trying to improve a concept that is fundamentally flawed. We'll love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Yeah, I I would uh, agree with that uh, that point of view from from Nigel, and you know it, it's funny, right? That they went with this no side pod concept, and the thing is that a team kind of going their own way and coming up with a radical new design is not uncommon in Formula One. What is uncommon is that if it works. Everybody will will borrow from that concept and develop it to to, to fit their own needs and and uh, requirements, right? But the thing is, well, I mean, it, it remains to be seen what the cars are going to look like uh, for, for for this year. But I mean, I guess the the, the best uh, example of uh, one team really copying the Mercedes concept was the whole pink Mercedes thing with uh, with Racing Point a couple of years ago, which was you know a lot of people thought that they they liberally borrowed uh, to a, a, a large extent from what was it the the W. 10 the w11 whatever car that was but when you saw some like really good matchups and comparisons i mean there were a lot of similarities in the the, the aerodynamics but the cars were you know the the dimensions were were different but your know, racing point did borrow heavily <laughs> let's just put it that way on the concepts that uh, mercedes had but it's it is interesting because in years gone past before there was a budget cap I would think that uh, Mercedes would have been able to engineer their way out of that uh, situation. And now it, it's not quite so easy as just uh, throwing resources and people and money at it because, you know, you, you basically have to account for everything and, 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 basically record where every single penny is going but again if there, there's a team that uh, can find a way to be you know really smart and and find a way to be ingenious with their design and a way to solve a problem it is uh, mercedes so i i wouldn't count them out but i i'm i'm not 100 percent convinced that 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 concept is you know it's what they it's going to deliver what they're they're hoping it will but you know i remain to open to being proven wrong. Dale, you make a really great point about the cost cap. And basically, historically, they've been able to engineer their way out of problems very, very quickly. And sometimes before, I think the general media and the public would even be aware there was an issue because they could simply throw money at the problem and their massive engineering resources and Brackley would be able to resolve the issue. I don't think that last year, they really identified the zero pod design as a problem. And I think if you look at their, their season... Their biggest problem leading right into the British Grand Prix was their floors and the porpoising issue. And I think the side pods were probably secondary to that. And I think by the time they had solved the porpoising issue, they had probably not yet got to grips with whether the zero pod design was successful or not. And I think if they had suspected that it was something that they didn't want to pursue this season, that's a decision they would have probably have had to have made midway through last year. And I think with the data and the information they had on the performance of the car, they probably weren't confident in the analytics and the data and the telemetry they're pulling off the cars because it was all muddied by the porpoising issue. So I think they probably had to make a decision later in the season and their decision was let's continue with this theme. And in part, it was because of the cost cap because the challenge is we're not simply talking about the 
carbon fiber cladding on the side of the car, your, your side pod design dictates the cooling to the engine and it dictates the placement of the radiators and ultimately dictates or dictates the, the kind of placement of the floor. Like there's a lot of pieces here. So if they made a decision late in the season that, Hey, we're not going to continue with the zero pod design in 2023. That's a huge amount of cascading work throughout the factory. That's not just an aerodynamic thing that becomes a mechanical change as well. And I just don't think that they were confident in their belief that it wasn't a successful design. So I think, and we're going to find out like, when does the Mercedes, again, to be fair, the, the show cars that they roll out for the car reveals are often nothing more than a livery showcase, as opposed to a car that's going to represent what's going to show up in the first Grand Prix of the season. Great but point. we're probably yep. going to know, we're going to probably going to know in the next couple of months, whether this is something they're going to continue with, but it's certainly not something you could swap out mid season that if they commit to the zero pod design for the first race, this is something they're going to continue with through throughout or throughout the entire championship, just because there's so much work involved under the carbon fiber to, to make that work. But I would expect to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Okay. Next one comes from Diego R. This is more a statement than anything, uh, or, or is this more of a demand? Anyways, Diego's made his point, Hammy. He's put you on notice. And uh, it says, this isn't a question, but more suggestion about the Fantasy League. Could you do a league on a, uh, the Grid Rival app like the race? We all know how crappy the F1 app is for fantasy. That's all. Keep up the good work. <laughs> I know that F1 fantasy, you know, it, it's a oh, great man, concept, but it, it is shocking just like how how ungood it is. <laughs> I mean, it really is terrible. Dude, I was using I was using the CBS fantasy football website in 2005 and 2006 and it's better than the f1 the official f1 <laughs> fantasy site is today that's how bad it is and uh, crazy. i was shocked that it was bad in 2019 i couldn't believe it wasn't better for 2022 so uh diego i hear you loud and clear let us explore some options i i would say this i would be open to using whatever site or whatever app daily would be willing to commit to because of course he did join our own fantasy i know i missed the cutoff so despite throw, getting throw yeah. a little bit of shade <laughs> throw a little bit of shade so yeah let me check it out i think the the incredible thing though for us last year was we had 2100 people right. so join cool. our fantasy site so the grid rival app uh, might provide a better experience but if only 200 people migrate their way over like i might be more open to sticking and i definitely don't want to have two because i just i can't manage two i'm just i don't have the computational <laughs> capacity but uh but I'll, I'll definitely check it out and if it seems easy and the app's available on all sorts of devices and we can it can be super inclusive which is the key we'll definitely yeah, check yeah, it out 100 percent. okay next one comes from uh, sean Huggins. Uh, any idea as to what Alfa Romeo could be thinking with their team principal situation? Audi seems to be going guns blazing towards 2026. Do you think the team principal will be a long or short term hire? Thanks, guys. Great question. I mean, we we know that Andreas Seidel recently left uh, McLaren to take on his uh, new role at uh, as CEO or whatever the official title is uh, over there. But uh, I'm I'm really wondering what uh, what's going on there, Mark. If it uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised that maybe that the next team principal might be an interim person that I mean, Audi is committing big time. And this is going to be an interesting sort of transitionary period. And, you know, if they have a couple of really stinker seasons between now and when they officially rebadge as Audi in 2026, I wouldn't really read a lot into it because there, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. So maybe they do put somebody in because obviously Fred Vassour uh, left that team, is now team principal at uh, Ferrari. So maybe they do bring in a person 
person to run the show with the eye maybe doing, you know, headhunting for the the ideal candidate to steer this ship at, you know, towards 2026 and, and beyond as a long term. But who knows? Maybe they have somebody in mind right now, but that would be a little bit a little bit surprising considering Seidel has joined the team ahead of schedule. So I don't know. I, I, I would be surprised if they put in like a, a permanent long-term hire sooner rather than later. I, I think that they're going to do their due diligence and their homework and they're, you know, before they, they put that person in place. So I would say watch, watch this space. There is there. I'm so bad. I was slurring my words sometimes. There, there is probably no team on the Formula One grid that has more work ahead of them in the next three or four years than than Sauber Audi. You, you got to consider the workload that lays ahead of them. You have the current Sauber team that is rocking a Ferrari power unit. By 2025, they have to completely divorce their selves of that technical relationship with Ferrari. Dump the Ferrari power unit. They also have to navigate that process of Audi slowly, incrementally buying and taking over Audi and integrating the two organizations and the two cultures. And furthermore, Audi has to be able to develop and successfully launch a power unit for 2026. And in the meantime, they've got it in the background, be designing the car for 2026, while also bringing a Ferrari-powered car to the grid in 23, 24, and 25. Like There is a massive amount of work here. And I still think Andrea Seidel is probably the right person as CEO to oversee all of this. But I got to think that they might bring on more than a few very, very strong resources to navigate this problem. That's where I'm going to disagree with you. They've got the wrong person in there because they really should have Michael Andretti there because if Michael's in charge, they're going to be on the grid and competitive by 2025. You know, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, you know, look, dude, Andretti <laughs> had his chance to buy Sauber, man. I know. And, he, and so I, th- I know, right? And it's funny now because at the time we didn't. We didn't really know what happened. I, I think there were some reports at the time that the existing owner of Sauber got cold feet, and it was probably because he recognized there was probably other bidders sniffing around, mm-hmm. and that bidder turned out to be Audi. And I think we have to assume that the Audi purchase price was probably double what Andretti was teeing up. But but yeah, you're right. But yeah, I think I think Seidel's a great guy for this oh, job. But I think he's yep. got to bring yep. in some. He's got to bring in some serious muscle because they have a major work effort ahead of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Okay, the, the last one is from F11 is louder. And we all know that if you really want to crank it up to the max, turn it up to 11. So here's the question. How about this? Uh, we are entering yet another season and F1 has not done a single thing about not losing your best time if you bring out the yellow and qualifying. I will park it Raskas and wait for your answers. So I'm also going to park it in Raskas, and I'm going to let you answer this one first. Only because we talked about this. Yep. I can't remember if it was last episode or two episodes Just ago. Just recently. I couldn't be clear about this, yep. that I think if you bring out a yellow, if you bring out a red, you should lose your fastest time in that session. If it's Q1 and you bring out a red, your your fastest time is deleted. Q2, Q3. It would immediately deter and kill the negative behaviors because we talk about the circumstances where allegedly Sergio Perez put his car into the wall because he wanted to make sure he had a better pole position than Max Verstappen. But how many times have we seen people like Michael Schumacher and Nico Rosberg park their car on certain tracks to make sure that they could secure pole? That is a terrible, terrible behavior. Looks horrible for the sport. It undermines the integrity of the sporting nature and the competitiveness of the sport. I I think there needs to be, like in Indy, there needs to be consequences for doing so. Yeah, 100%. 
Um, let's move on now to the the news of the week. So Formula One has officially announced that uh, they will not be replacing the Chinese Grand Prix in 2023, uh, which really kind of sucks. I mean, well, I mean, I, we're still going to get uh, 23 races, which is amazing. But what, what's you know what is obviously negative about this thing is the fact that with the cancellation of uh, of Shanghai means that between the Australian Grand Prix on April 2nd, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. That's also a mouthful. On the 30th of uh, April, that means we have nearly a month gap. I mean, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to hit it pretty hard once the season starts with several races right off of the bat. And then just as we get into the groove and, and we're all up and running and we're all jacked to keep the season going, we're going to be sitting here for like three and a half weeks. But, you know, at least on the flip side, that once we get to racing again in Azerbaijan at the end of April, then the races are going to be coming, you know, pretty fast uh, after that on a very, very regular basis, but uh, a little bit uh, disappointed. It's unfortunate that, uh, you know, just the way that it was scheduled, that you'd have two weeks in between Australia and China, and then basically another two weeks to Azerbaijan. So that leaves a big, a big hole at the front end of the, 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 the season. So. Yeah, don't think there's anything uh, further to add to that uh, bit of disappointing news. So uh, the Miami Grand Prix has announced uh, upgrades, including a new paddock in the Dolphins uh, football field. So the organizers of the Miami Grand Prix have announced a series of upgrades for this year's event, and that includes a resurfaced track and new paddock location on the field of Hard Rock Stadium itself. So they're also going to have a new and expanded VIP paddock club, which, you know, that's always, uh, you know, a Above the, the the garages in the pit lane, and one of the things uh, that was really criticized uh, last year was the, the the way that the track deteriorated over the course of the entire weekend. So they've um, you know they've done a lot of work to resurface it because that's what the drivers are saying that the, the track was in such poor condition they didn't want to go off the the the, the racing line and try and uh, and make an overtake. Well, would you like to add something to that? Because this is you know they've already put a lot of uh, money into this event to get it up and running but now they've they, they've really doubled down to 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 deal with some of the criticisms and also enhance uh, the facilities that are there well keep in mind they're competing against two races in in the u.s now right they're going head to head they're not going head to head with vegas in the sense that they're back-to-back weekends but they have to compete for sponsorship dollars and and ticket buyers money in a way that they didn't have to last year. And of course, there's two, three races in the US and four if you include Canada. Uh, but I like five this quote here from Dolphin Mexico CEO. City, right? Five. Yeah, five on the continent. I love this quote here from Dolphin CEO Tom Garfinkel. Um, he indicates that they're hoping to resolve the issue of the surface last year, and they employed F1 circuit specialists to carry out a resurfacing of the circuit. And he says, and I quote, we could have just come back with the racetrack that we had last year because the goal we set out was to have great racing, a lot of overtaking, side-by-side racing. But the track we had last year had parts where there was one line where there should have been the possibility to overtake. And so we weren't happy with that. We're going to go through with the investment expense to go ahead and repave it in an effort to get it where it races better. It raced well enough, according to the teams and the drivers, but we want it to be as good as we possibly can. So that's why we're going to repave it. According to Lawrence Edmondson of ESPN, consideration was also given to changing the track layout, especially the chicane at turns 14 and 15, but ultimately reconfiguring the track will remain unchanged. And I quote again from Thomas or Mr. Garfinkel, we talked to all the team principals, the drivers, F1, the FIA, there was differing opinions about the chicane 
saying some of the drivers didn't like it. Some of them thought it was fine. And throughout their grid, it was the same feedback all over the place. Some liked it, some did it, and some didn't care. We went through it with the FIA, Formula One, and Tilke and decided right now we're not going to make changes. We thought about flattening it out a bit. We're still looking at things as we finalize things, but right now it's going to stay the same. So good news, they're continuing to invest in fan experience, although probably more the, the VIP fan experience. They're resurfacing the track, which is great and should be the least they can do in terms of creating a really competitive sporting atmosphere. I don't like the chicane at T14 and T15, so I would have liked to have seen that smoothed out. But yeah, it's cool that just in their second year, they're spending considerable resources to expand the uh, expand the event. And I also think it's really, really cool that the paddock is going to be on the playing surface in the middle of the stadium. So if you know, in Miami, the, the track was built around Dolphin Stadium, and they're going to put the paddock inside the stadium so you can actually sit up in the 300 level of the stadium and look down and watch the goings on in the paddock, which is pretty cool and will probably look great on TV. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I, you know, what, what I really like about that is obviously there were some issues in that inaugural race uh, last year, but rather than doing a Jedi mind trick and trying to make us all forget uh, that these things happened, that they're they're being proactive about it. They, they, they've taken the, the, the criticism, the good and the bad, and decided to, to, to take it head on. So let's see how that improves or doesn't improve the, uh, the, 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 the whole experience and the racing spectacle uh, this year. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of blows my mind that we're going to have five continental races between Coda, Miami, Vegas, Montreal, and Mexico City. I mean, that is, uh, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Okay, moving along. Next one comes from Sam Cooper at Planet F1. And apparently, uh, Lewis Hamilton has been offered or he's in discussion with uh, Mercedes about a new 120 million pound contract, which will include a Mercedes ambassadorial role. So apparently, uh, Mercedes have offered Lewis an extension of two years, which would see Lewis racing now until his early 40s. So according to the uh, the outlet sport or um, outlet Sportoon, Mercedes has reportedly offered a Lewis a salary of 70 million euros or 62 million pounds per season which would 75 million US. Yep. I think that's about 75 million US. That sounds about right if you do the math which would uh, bring him up from where he currently is at 45 million euros or 40 million pounds uh, per year. Uh, where it would be different with uh, his current uh, uh, contract is that there would not be a 25 million euro or 22 million pound bonus for winning the world uh, championship. So that is uh, very, very interesting. So they're also uh, reporting that uh, the salary will largely be played paid that was i don't know why a four-letter word is so difficult to get out but it's been a long day anyways uh the the salary will be mostly paid by uh mercedes's um a sponsor ineos which is uh, run and owned by a uh, british billionaire jim ratcliffe's uh, company so they have uh, a big relationship away from formula one as well as hamilton as being a part of ratcliffe's unsuccessful bid to buy chelsea uh football club and apparently now they're looking at buying the uh, Manchester United away from the the Glazer family, which would be uh, interesting. Yay, yay, do it. Do yeah, it. exactly. As a Man United fan, I would be happy to see the Glazers uh, get bought out. Uh, anyway, so apparently Ratcliffe will pick up 90% of Lewis's contract, and that would uh, include funds to finance uh, Hamilton's charity Mission 44. So he'd also... And, and... And, and... And I'm only going to interject here because this is something I've been talking about for years. 
It's rumored, and again, Sam Cooper writes this, and I quote, aside from the financial terms of the deal, that two-year, $150 million US deal, Hamilton is also looking for an ambassadorial role with the Silver Arrows and wants a 10-year deal with the Daimler Group, brackets Mercedes-Benz, for which he would ask for around 25 million euros or about $30 million a year. So aside from the racing money, when he's done as an F1 driver, he expects or hopes to secure a 10-year ambassador role with Mercedes-Benz, which would pay him um, in its entirety around 300 million US, <laughs> which is something we've been advocating for on his behalf. So oh it would be very God. fitting for somebody who helped them win multiple championships. I'm willing to do it for the bargain price of 1 million euros per year because, you know, 25 is a little steep. I'll, I'll do it at reduced rates, you know, but of course, nobody knows who knows who I am. So th- that's a bit of a, a bit of a catch. So they told me they they'd let you me know. You never know who's listening. That's true. You never know who's listening, buddy. So yeah, and the next picture I, I, I switch over to is one of Total Wolf. I'm just kidding. So I was just gonna say there, there's a little bit of like <laughs> synchronicity there. But yeah, strangely, I haven't had very many texts or you know phone calls from Total lately. But who knows? Maybe tomorrow the big man will call. Um, anyways, uh, you know, joking aside, I uh, you know the next story is about uh, Total Wolf, and uh, just going uh, back to the, the this ongoing story that we've been uh, talking about that. I don't know if you want to say it made big news, but it certainly has been it, it, it's been in the news uh, recently. And uh, Total believes that uh, the FIA's clampdowns on political statements made by uh, or made by drivers in the future won't be harsh. So we, we talked about that at length over the uh, the, the past uh, couple of uh, seasons. Um, Toto told the, uh, the the media in a conference uh, news conference last week. "Quote: I think we need to see how this really pans out. We understand that the sport are uh, the sports are here not to make politics, but on the contrary, to unite. I have no doubt that Mohammed, so Mohammed uh, Ben Sulaim, the uh, president of the FIA, and the FIA mean well to achieve the right things. It's just aligning. It's just about aligning uh, that with the drivers have been more outspoken in the past." End quote. So. There you go. I don't know uh, where he's kind of uh, getting that uh, that from, but uh, he goes on to say, uh, quote, every time I know when Mohammed's spoken to Lewis and the other way around, it's ended up in a positive conversation. So I have no doubt that once all people sit at the table together, that things will not appear as harsh as they are being written down in the off season. We haven't talked about the political situation because he's in his off season. And I think that's important to shield yourself from Formula One. And this is very much what I'm doing, helping him to shield once he's back. These things will certainly be discussed with a positive mindset end quote so uh we'll, we'll see <laughs> famous uh, last uh, last words oh i i mean just going back uh, to lewis hamilton uh you know there there are these uh, discussions going but is, is this true that lewis is training for the season at the moment in a- a- antarctica According to his social media, of which I have been watching feverishly, yes, he has spent a lot of time in Antarctica with his crew, of which I'm not a member. Yeah, <laughs> neither am I, sadly. But that that is fascinating. Like uh, I know that obviously you, you're not going to get the paparazzi or you know like extremely you know zealous and over enthusiastic fans chasing you down in Ant- Antarctica because it's a very difficult place to get to, obviously. But what sort of training is Lewis doing on? the bottom of the world in the in the the, the sub south southern polar regions that's mind-blowing honestly wait antarctica's the south one yeah 
Ar- the Arctic is the north one. The Antarctic is the south one. Okay, so that's uh, geography one hundred and one. But I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I'm amazed. I think this is the most uh, amazing and kind of peculiar thing. I mean, it's it it it's interesting, but it doesn't like. I mean, I would expect that for you know, like a lot of other like athletes kind of training for extreme things i just don't necessarily think it's a very formula one kind of thing but i guess if anybody would do it it seems kind of like a lewis thing but i guess i should be uh, checking out his socials a little bit uh closer okay so uh moving along oh actually let's take a, a quick break then we'll come back because i want to talk more about james voles uh the, the the new team principal at uh at williams so i want to dedicate a bit of time to do that so let's just step away for a real brief uh, moment we'll come back on the flip side after a quick word from our sponsors and we'll discuss us further so don't go away we'll be right back another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the show. Yes, so we uh, want to talk a little bit more about uh, James Voles, the uh, the new team principal at uh, Williams. We did uh, talk about it uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, at length on the uh, the Sunday night uh, show. Show. So this uh, next article that we are looking at and reading about comes courtesy of RacingNews365.com, and this is an article uh, written by uh, author Rory Mitchell and his co-author Jake Nickel. And uh, so f- uh, F1 chief technical officer um, uh, Pat Simons has uh, Pat used to be at Williams didn't he uh, back in the day I believe he did anyways um, uh, Pat has gone over some of what he believes are the key areas that uh, Vols and his team will need to uh, to, to focus on as they they, they move uh, ahead anyways um, so uh, prior to taking up uh, his role at uh, at Formula One Simons was their chief technical officer from uh, 2014 to 2016 geez that seems like he was there so much longer ago i mean that's that's why it's kind of like sort of struggling a second ago to remember when was he there but wow that seems a lot longer than it was anyways uh pat had to say quote strategy when i say strategy i don't mean race strategy because when people rule by race strategy everyone knows which everyone knows james for it's more uh, much more about uh, tactics what he needs to do is to have a look at what's there and what needs doing i went there in 2013 and did that job i turned it from a team that's finishing ninth to a team that's finishing third. I think that James might well be able to do that. He's very, very intelligent. 
questions end quote and you know and and that's that's a great piece of the puzzle because we we talked about that uh, when we were talking about the appointment that since uh, you know 2016 that they really dropped off the mat I mean or off the map and of course you know now that we see look at a little bit further of course we didn't take into account that uh, that that was the time when Pat Simons left you know Patty Lowe came in and they they they've really I mean to say that they've struggled to 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 regain some sort of respectability is a bit of a an understatement because at the same time remember McLaren was also in 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 the in the doldrums and sunk into the abyss as well and they've turned it around and become like a top half of the team or top top half of the tier team as well right i mean they're a top 5 team and they did that in relatively short order and 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 uh, williams has just not been able to do it but i think that's uh, you know it's a short quote but i think there's quite a few things to unpack in that statement from from pat simons i'll just say that uh I have this bad habit of when I can't pronounce somebody's last name, which is how you're supposed to refer to somebody on subsequent references in in the news media. If I use their first name consistently, it's because I can't pronounce their <laughs> last name properly. So I will refer to James as James from here on. But I take back a comment I made a little bit earlier about the Audi Sauber project being perhaps the most complex in all of Formula One. I think James going into Williams and being expected to turn this team into a podium contender is probably the biggest. And Pat's Simons, Simmons, Simons, sorry, uh, I'm not a fan. I mean, he he's quick in this article to make reference to the work that he did with with Williams back in 2013, 2014, when of course Williams scored a, a kind of a, a pocket full of podiums during that 2014 season. Let's be very, very real. They were the primary beneficiary of having the most advanced power unit in the world in their back of the car that year. 2014 was the year that we transitioned to turbo hybrid and the Williams power or the the Mercedes power unit was miles, miles ahead of anyone else in the grid. And they just happened to be a customer team. So Mm -hmm. even though the rest of their package was pretty mediocre, they were able to score some podiums just, just on the back of having the best power unit on the grid and the rest of the field caught up awfully quickly. And by 2017, they were a total afterthought despite that podium in 2017 that Lance scored at uh, Baku. But I think the work effort here is is massive. And I think James is going to struggle significantly because the the resources and I, I think the infrastructure are underwhelming. And I don't think Doralton has made a meaningful effort to invest in the way that they need to, to be competitive. And I think a lot of people assume that was because they were really just polishing this team up as, a, as an opportunity to sell on at a significant cash cash windfall but i think if james is going to be successful here it means blowing the whole thing up and that's going to take a lot of money i'm talking people i'm talking infrastructure i'm talking strategy this is going to be a major major work effort and i also don't think they're ever going to be successful as long as they're a customer team i think their future their their future as a potential championship contending team rests on their ability to score a works deal whether that's with honda or porsche or hyundai or another team that we're not talking about yet, that they will never be truly competitive as long as they are an underfunded customer team. And we'll talk about this in a minute with McLaren, but that's also McLaren's biggest obstacle. And last year they finished behind, they were they were the best finishing 
non-works team on the grid. But if you're a customer team, it's always going to be very difficult to compete with the works teams because the works teams have the benefit of typically greater investment, but they also have the ability to design their power unit for the car and the car for the power unit. And if you're a customer team, you're a force to adapt your car and your car design to a power unit that somebody else has designed. And you have no input into the weight distribution of that power unit, the size, the packaging, the cooling requirements. So it becomes very difficult. But James has a massive, massive uh, works projects ahead of him at uh, at Williams. Yeah, absolutely. And it is going to be uh, interesting to watch and see. But I, I feel a little bit more confident in the you know his appointment as a William team principal compared to maybe some in the past. I mean, obviously, Patty Lowe couldn't get it done. And, and Capito, I, I, I'm not really, I, I don't really feel like he made at least publicly, I just don't feel like there there was much of an impact. I mean, I, I had hopes. What with his his background, with the, I know it wasn't in, in Formula One, but I mean, he had a proven record in in other uh, series of uh, motorsport, and I thought uh, you know maybe he's going to be able to to uh, transfer some of that into Formula One. But it's really been more of the same for 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 Williams. But I mean. You don't stick around a team like Mercedes for a long term like uh, James Voles did. And it's just uh, some of the commentary since his uh, departure and his appointment as uh, team principal of Williams, uh, the coming from Mercedes on, on you know, just uh, speaking on his departure, I think, uh, you know, just speaks to how much he was liked and uh, respected in that team. So going to be interesting, going to be fun to watch. But uh, certainly, I think uh, I know he's going into that uh, job with his eyes uh, wide open. OK, next story comes uh, courtesy of uh, Andy Gray at uh, BBC.com. And this is uh, some quotes uh, made by uh, former Formula One uh, driver David Coulthard, uh, just uh, speaking about his former team Red Bull and specifically addressing the uh, the situation that Sergio Perez finds himself in this year. He believes that uh, Sergio has his own future in his hands at, uh, at Red Bull. But uh, I believe that what, what he's trying to get to is that uh, he's going to uh, feel the heat one way or another with uh, having uh, Danny Ricardo as a reserve driver. Now, this is an interesting one, right? Because, I mean, normally I don't think that you would really feel too much pressure when you have like a reserve driver coming into a team. But let's face it. I mean, Christian Horner didn't bring Ricardo back to Red Bull because he likes his smile or that Danny's happy-go-lucky kind of party you know, persona kind of fits the Red Bull brand, right? Because he's a fun guy and they, 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 you know, they're a fun team that likes to do crazy things that, uh, that he's there for that. I mean, Ricardo is a bit of a reclamation project, but when you look at Ricardo's career in Formula One, his resume compared to um, Perez, yeah, Sergio's had a pretty good 18 months, but he's also had the benefit of having the best car with the best engine in the back. And Ricardo, yeah, I'm 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 very disappointed with what he's put up in the last couple of years. And I'm not entirely convinced that he doesn't have anything left in the tank at this point. But I do think that maybe to if he has one last shot to rediscover himself and make a legit shot to get a race seat back, I think he needs to take an opportunity like that because maybe he can re- rediscover something when he can just focus on what he needs to do rather than all the fiduciary things like, you know, um, practice sessions and qualifying and races and all the pressures of being a, a race driver. He can focus on himself and his driving without having to, to worry about the rest of the Formula One circus, if that makes uh, any sense. What do you think about that, that Mark? 
Yeah, I, I would just argue that I think Sergio's been a massive disappointment at Red Bull, and I'm not advocating or suggesting that there's a legitimate chance that Daniel Ricciardo is going to replace him, but I would argue that all the pressure on in the world is on Sergio Perez, and and Ricardo has no pressure. He he already flamed out of his three year contract at at McLaren. He's going now to a team where he knows the facility, he knows the people, he knows the sims, he knows the city, and it's going to be it's got to be a little bit intimidating for Sergio that this guy who was deeply beloved and cherished within that organization is coming back in a reserve driver role. And all of a sudden he literally is going to have to look over his shoulder because all of a sudden Daniel's going to have the opportunity to sit in the exact same sim that Sergio Perez sits in and drive the exact same equipment and drive the exact same car on the exact same tracks. He's going to get his free practice sessions. Like all of a sudden there's some more pressure on Sergio Perez. And if you look at Sergio last year, he didn't finish second in the championship, despite the fact that he had a superior car relative to anyone else in the championship. And he only finished 30 points ahead of George Russell. And I think that speaks worlds to the efforts that George Russell put in, especially in the first half of the season. Mm -hmm. But as far as I'm concerned, that's an unacceptable performance. And I get it that kind of outwardly... Red Bull's going to project a degree of satisfaction because they won the constructors, they won the driver's title, Max is happy, he was given his opportunity, but at the same time, Sergio Perez woefully under-delivered versus his teammate. And and again, you can make that argument that Max is just this transcendent, once-in-a-lifetime generational talent, but these are all Formula 1 drivers, and the gap between them shouldn't be as significant as that. So I would agree that there's some pressure on Sergio. And I've been really cold on Sergio ever since the backlash from Brazil, where I think we all felt a little bit of pity initially for Sergio because Max wouldn't give him that position back. But as time went on and the story started to trickle out that actually maybe this is some beef that comes from Monaco where mm-hmm. where allegedly Perez put his car in the wall and, and that smoke just kept coming and coming. Uh, I've been a little bit cooler on him. So you know what? I would like to see the pressure on him and I want to see Ricardo do really well in the sim. And I'd love to see Ricardo put in some really great practice sessions. And I think it would just be interesting for us to talk about the story as the year goes on. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, it, it, this kind of builds on the question from Brett that we uh, we talked about at the, uh, the beginning of the show of like, who's in the the, the, the hot seat? I, I wouldn't necessarily put Sergio in that category just quite yet, but I guess to build on Coulthard's comments that, uh, that, 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 Sergio's uh, Red Bull futures in his own hands. I, I would 100% uh, agree with that. But I think where it gets interesting is that, you know, Ricardo, regardless of his uh, performance in Formula in the last uh, year or two, you kind of putting that aside, he is a different kind of driver to slide into that reserve role. He, he's not a Danny Kvyat. He's not a Pascal Verline, who are good drivers, but they're not really Formula One caliber, like long term Formula One uh, caliber drivers, right? They they kind of like had their shot and kind of disappeared, and because Red Bull oddly decide, despite being you know this big massive organization having an academy didn't have enough drivers with super license points so they had to go back to, to Daddy Kvyat and drag him back in to put him into uh, one of their cars or into the Alpha Tauri at least or was it still Toro Rosso but I mean Ricardo's a different type of person to, to, to be a reserve driver and and for me that doesn't necessarily put make it like a hot seat all or nothing thing for 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 Checo but it, it does make it a very 
noteworthy situation to, to to watch over the year especially if Sergio has a, a period where he struggles you know could, could uh, you know this you know the speculation and uh, and comments will just mm. start to fly at that point right yeah and, and don't get me wrong we have a ton of really great passionate listeners in Mexico and I I know they get really excited every time we talk about Sergio and quite frankly like I would love to see Sergio feel the pressure from Ricardo and put in some monster pressure this some monster performance this year and in turn put pressure on Max like I would love nothing more than to see that but I, I would just argue that you know what given the machinery that he had last year not finishing second in the championship was uh was not a good look for uh for his career yeah absolutely okay moving along uh next story comes uh courtesy of the race.com written by Scott Mitchell Malm and it's uh, entitled has McLaren hit the roof for its uh, Formula One potential for now. Now, this is an inter- uh, interesting thing to discuss, right? Because this was a team that was you really had sunk down about as low as you can go, and uh, they they've pulled them back uh, to respectability and competitiveness. And last year, last year is an interesting one, right? Because it it, it was the first year of a new era of uh, Formula One, new set of regs. Basically, everything on the cars was brand new for last year. I mean except for the power units, but the, the design of the, the, the car and the aerodynamics uh, themselves. And they didn't have a great, uh, great year. So this makes this year even that much more interesting to watch uh, for uh, McLaren, considering also the uh, the recent departure of Andreas Seidel as team principal over to his new role at uh, CEO at, uh, at Audi. But for me, I guess the, the, the big question is, this is a team that or an organization that really at one point had everything going for them and then, you know, hit some financial hard times and had to refinance and all these things. And I, I just, I, I can't, you know, and I know this is more your area of expertise, Hammy. I, I just can't help but wonder if they're maybe handcuffed to a certain extent by the, the circumstances that they they find themselves in, because one of the people that was really outspoken about implementing the budget cap a couple of years ago, back in 2020, when this uh, was still being discussed and you know tweaked and finalized, what was McLaren CEO Zach Brown? He was very adamant about what uh, what they wanted, and and I really wonder if if that might be the whole key to where they are, because financially they're. Not in a great place. I mean, they had to sell off the MTC, and they're 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 leasing it back from you know basically, aren't they? From whoever owns it now. And th- this was a bespoke facility that was designed and built specifically for McLaren. I mean, that was uh, basically. I, I I guess you could argue that the MTC is basically Ron Leg- uh, Ron Dennis's legacy to a certain extent, right? I mean, in addition to all the championships and and things like that. But why didn't you weigh on this one, Mark? I know this is something that uh, you're usually pretty passionate about talking or talking yeah, about it's a really really cool topic and i guess if we reflect back on last year's constructors championship and this really only occurred to me when i was reading the race article but if you look at the championship last year red bull works team ferrari works team mercedes works team alpine works team the next six teams in the constructors championship standings are all customer teams so if you if you look at if you look at 
McLaren in isolation of those works teams, they're kind of the best of the rest. But unlike a lot of motorsports championships, there is no championship trophy for customer teams and works <laughs> teams and overall teams. Like There's no trophy for them. There's no incremental prize money because they happen to be the best of the rest. But I like this article because it's a question that I ponder endlessly, which is what is a realistic what is a realistic ceiling for a team who has to buy their power unit from a competitor? Is it realistic that they ever compete for championships when there are so many disadvantages to being strategically and technically a customer team? And and obviously, I think the the cost cap flattens that that delta a little bit or narrows that delta and should make it more. Um, I would say. I say more realistic that they can compete for a championship, but I just think there's some real disadvantages here. I, I would add though, and this is something that I, was, I thought about a lot last summer when you and I were reading the mechanic with Bird Pinkerton yep. was the fact that when they were most recently successful in contending for titles, so 2007, 2008, and as they continued to win some cha- some weight races up through 2012, they were unofficially a works team, right? Like in 2007 mm-hmm. and 2008, they were rocking Mercedes power units, but they were also the only team on the grid rocking Mercedes power units. And Mercedes was pumping a ton of cash into that team. In fact, as we discussed before, when they got that $100 million fine for Spygate, Mercedes picked up half the tab. That they were, for all intents, technically, when you're talking about the technical design and development of the car and the power unit, they were a works team. And ever since they've not been a works team, they've really, really struggled. And if you look at the the kind of the highlights of their history, of their legacy, it's typically when they've had that really deeply integrated relationship with a power unit supplier. So I think their future is really tied. And like I said earlier with Williams, that if they really want to be competitive on the grid, becoming a works team, and I I don't know what that looks like because Mercedes has this unusual characteristic of also being a road car designer as well. So if you're going to have that relationship with a with an OEM, how does how does that that marriage coexist with the fact that you're also a a road car manufacturer? And I think when Audi was sniffing around, it was probably with the assumption that they were going to bottle up the McLaren road car division and bring it under the Volkswagen banner. But I think for them to really exceed expectations to win a championship, they need a more tightly integrated power unit relationship. But I just don't know what that's going to, uh, what that's ultimately going to look like. I do give them a lot of credit because, like you said, they were in massive amounts of debt as recently as a few years ago. Uh, they had to sell off the MTC, which I think none of us ever expected was going to no, happen. No, and they've never. done some really great things in other rate, most rate, motor racing uh, disciplines. It was really cool watching the Formula E race last weekend and seeing that beautiful orange McLaren on the track. But I think it just comes down to what are they going to do with that power unit piece? Because that's really going to unlock their true potential over the next three to five years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it, it's interesting too, because you, uh, you you stole the words right in my mouth, uh, more or less, uh, when you mentioned that the $100 million fine for Spidey, uh, Spygate, because to me, I, I feel like there's still a residue of that that whole scandal that even though it, it, it's like a new era with different people, you know, running the show there. I agree. Just at least for, for me, like that, I, I don't, I just get the impression that they've, they've never been able to 100% divest themselves from that. I mean, it might be 98, 99, 95% kind of walked away and moved on from that but i i still feel like there's like i say a bit of a residue 
kind of like hanging there from 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 that because that was it was unprecedented and i mean the whole situation and then also the 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 fallout on it because you know, when we when we talked about it uh, when we uh, read uh, elvis uh, mark elvis Priestley's book the mechanic when they when they talked about it like sitting in the garage at spa and everybody's checking their phones and then they all left the track and then they were called back to the track to go to the garage so they 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 could basically be brought up to speed what was happening i mean that that was a very very interesting part to, to get that that first person recollection from from mark Priestley because when I, I mean i found the whole book like really really interesting but that had like a for me a different level of like like experience like i i felt like i experienced that more personally like i i, I you could really feel the emotion and uh, just everything like the, the whole gravity of the situation the way that he described it I, I i thought it was it was a fascinating recollection and and, and retelling of that uh, that event Okay, so uh, moving on, just a couple more, just to um, to, to, to finish off here. So, um, well, this is a Bernie Ecclestone story. So, wh- why didn't you take this one away, Mark? Yeah, I love the story. One of the important things to understand about the Bernie Eccleston era regime, period, tyranny, whatever you want to call it, was that he was <laughs> ruthless with the race organizers. This is a guy who would beat and pummel and beat and extract every single penny he could from race organizer partners. And one of the things that the Bernie era was known for was he was signing contracts left, right, and center. Many of these races like New York never happened. Races mm-hmm. would happen like in Turkey and India for a couple of years. He would extract everything he could out of them financially, ditched the race, bailed on Korea, moved on to different races. He was never, he never seemed that he was fully invested in the long-term sustainability of any specific event. And that includes the, the home Grand Prix of, of Formula One at Silverstone in the British Grand Prix. There's this great Oliver article here from Planet uh, F1 with Oliver Harden writing. And he says Stuart Pringle the Silverstone Managing Director has claimed that working with F1's new owners is a breath of fresh air (laughs) compared to the days when Bernie Eccleston ran the show. And I quote, under the ownership of Liberty Media, F1 has experienced a boom of popularity over recent years with record crowds attending Grand Prix new and old. Despite being one of the most historic events on the calendar, the British Grand Prix is no exception with Silverstone attracting an audience of 400,000 people for 2022. Silverstone has long been at threat from the influx of races in emerging markets, including the US, Asia, and the British GP's current contract set to expire in 2024. However, and I continue to quote here, however, Pringle has praised Liberty's approach for working with rather than against race promoters, throwing some serious shade at Bertie Eccleston. And it continues, speaking at the Autosport International, as quoted by GP fans, it's such a commitment, the British Grand Prix. The fee is eye-watering, the cost of delivery keeps you awake at night, and the fixed cost basics extraordinarily high as a result. It's a given you're going to sell out Sunday. We got to selling out Saturday a few years ago, and now Friday is all but gone as well, and that's where your profit is. And if you don't make a profit, Mr. Eccleston, you cannot reinvest in infrastructure it was creaking and groaning Silverstone because the BRDC was unable to make a profit Hmm. in brackets from Formula One for 40 years. And he continues, now I'm pleased to say that the owners of F1 take a sensible view that is not in their interest to crush the promoter. And they recognize that the promoter invests all of the money back into the facilities. Silverstone, and this is uh, Oliver continuing here, Silverstone has experienced something of a makeover in recent times with the construction of the Silverstone wing pit and panic building in 2011, followed by the opening of Trackside Hotel last year. So I think the the emphasis, the tone of this article is that, yeah, Bernie was 
was ruthless with his race promoters. And it was very much F1 and the commercial rights group versus the race promoters that, hey, we will give you the event, but we will extract a nickel and dime every cent of value we possibly can. And the British Grand Prix, which has historically been over the course of the championship's history, one of the most successful races from an attendance perspective, lost money year in and year out because they were choking and coughing all of it up to the Formula One commercial rights group. And his article here is, hey, look, you know what? Liberty's doing some great things to promote the event. We're able to sell a lot more tickets. We're able to collaborate on race sanctioning fees in ways that we weren't able to before. And all that new money that we're earning, we're able to reinvest it into the track, into the paddock, into the garages and create a better fan experience. So it's cool mm. to hear that one of the long-term race promoters um, is speaking favorably about the relationship with Liberty because you know that over the past, uh, really in the last 10 years of Bernie's regime, the British Grand Prix was always on the cusp of being replaced or taken off the calendar altogether. And it's a Formula One calendar is unfathomable without, without the British Grand Prix. So it's good to know that it's a much healthier place now. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is uh, great news. Okay, a couple more pieces of news here. First of all, uh, Kevin Magnuson uh, and his bid to race at the 24 Hours of Daytona later in January is reportedly in jeopardy because he's had uh, hand surgery. He was uh, going to uh, partner up with his uh, father, um, Jan Magnuson, who's also a former Formula One driver. And, and MDK Motorsports team owner Mark uh, Kavama to uh, drive uh, a Porsche GT3 of the IMSA Sports Car Championship opening race of the year. So um, uh, K-Mag discovered a cyst that required surgery ahead of the Formula 1 season, uh, which means he's going to have to uh, recover and sit out uh, the um, uh, 24 hours of Daytona, which is set to go on the weekend of January 28th and uh, 29th. So I'm ready for this this time, Hammy. Here is is your MotoGP quarter jingle? Here you I'm go. I'm smiling Back. ear to ear. Thank you should you so be. much. <laughs> I'm not actually prepared. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I have one quote today, and the quote is from Mr. Marquez, Mr. Mark Marquez, and I just want to kind of rewind this a little bit. So this is the first seven years of Mark Marquez's history, his career in Formula One. 2013 was his first year. Year one, imagine this: as a rookie, you won the championship. Year two won the championship year three in what I think is still the most exciting year of MotoGP racing ever. He finished third, mm -hmm. but in 16, 17, 18, and 19, he won the championships. Imagine that six championships in his first seven years. And of course, the beginning of 2020, the COVID shortened year, he had the big fall, big injury, had to have surgery. Quote from Mr. Marquez, and I'll, I'll kind of wrap up the show with this. It's a new challenge because until 2020, my career had been idyllic. A bed of roses. Now I have lived the other side of the coin. Injuries. It's not easy. Because the injury has been hard, I am obliged to prepare myself as best I know to reach the maximum to go to war. So this will be Mark Marquez's first full healthy season since his championship 2019. I am pumped up to see what Mark Marquez is going to be able to bring to the grid. If Honda can bring him a great bike, Will he win championship number seven? I guess well, we'll that, find that, out. 
Yeah, that that is a great. Uh, you know, that is the uh, the 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 big question is uh, is he going to be able to get it done uh, this year? But I mean, it, it's funny, right? That you know he could start in his career at such a, a young age and have such massive success, and then have like his fortunes like literally turn around uh, 180 degrees. I mean, it, it really is. You know, it, it's it's a very unique uh, situation, but. I mean, there, there's no doubt that, that this is an amazing rider. I mean, you know, I, I, I can't help but be drawn to Mark Marquez, both as, a, you know, a motorcycle rider and, and also the personality. So it's, uh, you know, you, you've piqued my interest, Mark. I'm, I'm going to be watching this uh, MotoGP Lots season. Lots of updates this with, year, uh, with, I promise. Yeah, Lots of cool. updates. Well, you did send me the jingle back after I lost it after you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the audio cart crashed. So it's all lost locked it and loaded or here. deleted it. Uh, next question. <laughs> I've, I've, I, you know, even though I'm not American, I'm going to claim the Fifth Amendment because the answer that that I could give, you know, I have the right not to self-incriminate. So we'll 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 go with that. But uh, anyways, Mark, it looks like we're at that time again. Uh, we're a little bit ahead of schedule compared to the usual show, but that kind of fits in with the, se- the theme for this week that we're a little bit ahead of schedule, being a, a Wednesday night rather than a Thursday, but. Before we go, what do you have to say to all the good people out there in Formula One land? Well, we love you all, and we greatly, greatly appreciate the support of our program. Uh, typically, I get to say the spiel about the hour 40 mark, so probably more people are here to listen to it today at one fifteen. <laughs> but if you love our show and you listen on Spotify, please give us a rating. It means the world to both of us. And if you listen on Apple, if you can give us a rating and more importantly, even a review, it means the world. Because as we understand it, ratings and review go a long way to promoting and prioritizing our podcast and ratings and and search engines and all those kind of things. So if you could do that for us, it, uh, it certainly means a lot to both of us. Absolutely. And uh, we'll just uh, leave it uh, right there because uh, it is that time. So Thank you one and all for, for downloading, listening to the show again uh, this week. Uh, it's it's always a lot of fun to do this. If you want to get in touch, send us an email at scooterf1pod at gmail.com or send us a tweet at scooterf1pod. And that's it. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy your weekend. And we'll be back really, really soon to do this again. That's it, guys. Take care. Bye for now.